Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, so this can become a really weird topic (laughs) very quickly. And let me just uh, do some, I guess, housekeeping, if you want to call it this, and say right off the bat, I get enough emails from people about end times and predicting the end times and what's going to happen in the end times and... All kinds of stuff, and half the time it's promoting some product or some book. Or I mean, I had an email once trying to sell a Christian tuna company thing, and I get it. If you write a book, if you're selling something, I got nothing against you, nothing but love for you. Uh, I hope you do well in your business ventures. I hope the Lord is in it, but I will not endorse <laughs> and uh, do not endorse anything. Um, because then, then it adds bias to the show, right? And the whole point of this is, is that I'm a skeptic. <laughs> I want to question everything. And if I inject bias into something, well, then I'm not questioning that thing, right? And so there's been a few guests that I've had on the show and we've had some interesting conversations and I've talked about a book or something that they have released and fair enough. I mean, it's my show. I get to do what I want with it. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there's some really weird emails and and I don't know. Let me know if you guys want. Maybe I can read off a couple of them without being too condescending because you know someone's put their hard work and time and effort into something. And I don't want to be disrespectful, but man, some of these are really funny. So, <laughs> with that being said, Christians and nuclear weapons. How do we handle that? Um, I do want to start off by acknowledging I have a bias in this subject. I have many friends and some family members that have served or do currently serve in the military, uh, Air Force, Navy, Marines, Army. I even know one dude that's a part of the Space Force. So there's that. And so it's a whole kind of topic about defense here, right? And there's a couple different ways we can go with this conversation. Um, First of all, should Christians support nuclear weapons? There's an argument for nuclear weapons as a necessary evil based on the events of history, something called deterrence, uh, which is this idea that, well, now that nuclear weapons exist and are out there and the bad guys have them, the good guys have to have them too. And there's this like mutually assured destruction idea, right? Which is like, if they fire off nuclear weapons and want to, I don't know, wipe out our entire existence, well, we should have them so that they know if they fire them at us, we're firing them back at them. And then we just blow up the entire world. And it's just basically the plot of the book of Eli from there on out. Um, Fantastic movie, by the way, but I don't want to live through something like that. And so there's that idea, right? There's the idea that Nuclear weapons are just entirely evil, and Christians should not support them. And fair enough, I get it. <laughs> like, like, I really do, because, 
it's it's not just a Christian idea to not want to see the world plunged into violence and and decay and death and ruin and famine and disease and and everything just utterly burning with fire, right? Like that's that's not just a Christian idea. That's it's kind of just a human idea. Like no one wants that, but it's definitely a very Christian idea to not want these things, to not want to see violence uh, portrayed out on a grand scale like that and cost millions and millions of lives. It's a horrible, horrible thing to think about. And it's a very sobering thing to think that we we have the technology, we have the capability to to wipe out people groups, to wipe out cities, states, nations even, right? Um, so so there's there's that idea. And then and then there's the weird idea, which is which is kind of what I was referencing at the start of this is the end times. And what if nuclear weapons are a part of the end times? How do we view them then? Okay, <laughs> let's let's start off with defense. So I think we're borderline the idea: should Christians serve in the military? Should Christians defend themselves? Should capital punishment be a thing? Uh, I don't know that I can fully answer all of those questions, and and I don't know that I mean the Bible doesn't draw a hard line in the sand about this. And there's a couple reasons why I think it doesn't. Number one, I think that God puts convictions on everyone's heart uniquely. And so if someone chooses a life of pacifism versus someone choosing a life of just of, of laying down their life and fighting for something noble, fighting for freedom for those that they love, I think that those are two different kinds of convictions. And well, I don't think that we can judge each other for holding those kinds of convictions, right? I, I think if you're wanting to go into the military as a Christian, knowing that greater love has none than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends, as Jesus said, then fair enough, that's your conviction. And I think that's a very noble thing to do. I think that there are certainly biblical backings uh, to doing this. I think that you know, you, you look at you look at the life of David, and David was the the warrior king, right? Um, even Saul, Saul was a warrior for a little while. Um, Paul, in Philippians, Ephesians, Second Timothy, and Acts, all makes reference to uh, the Christian life being like the life of a soldier, containing armor, a helmet, a shield, and a sword of salvation. Right? That there's a a certain reality in which Christianity lives, that it doesn't necessarily promote war, promote uh, being a soldier, promote joining the army, but recognize that it's it's an integral part of reality. And so what I mean by that is we have to consider human violence, period. If we as Christians just say we're never going to be violent, we're always going to be pacifists, um, and, and every single Christian in the world does that, well, we're kind of screwed because there's going to be violence in the world. And that violence is going to attack helpless people, children, namely. So then it's like, well, make a choice. <laughs> what do you want to do? Not be a pacifist and, and potentially bring apart the, the destruction of a human life that's trying to destroy other lives or be a pacifist and sit and watch lives get destroyed. And so it's a very Christian thought to say, for the love of others, I will fight those that seek to do harm and seek to do evil. And, and you might object and say, well, but everyone's really just good and it's just, 
<laughs> people ordering people around. And it's like, yeah, but that argument really doesn't hold water. I mean, look at any part of history. Look at any part of history in the last hundred years, and you'll see evil. You'll see real, true maleficence confronting in the world. And I'm not going to get too much more into this conversation other than to say that it probably stems from Cain, right? Cain and Abel are kind of these two archetypal figures in human history where, where it's like, all of the violence in the world can be traced back to that single moment. That single moment of impure, improper, self-serving religion. Cain envied Abel. Cain envied Abel that he served the true God, and Cain served the God of Cain's heart, which is Cain. Right, And Cain was not the true God. So, so what got in the way of Cain and his true God was his brother Abel, and he murdered Abel. And, and I submit to you that war breaks out for that same reason. And if you don't want to fight and you're convicted not to, then don't. And if, if you do and you are convicted to, then, then do. And so then there's an argument. Well, because we've developed nuclear weapons and everyone has them, we have less fighting in the world. I don't know that that's entirely true. I think, and and I read an article from The Guardian on this, our look at deterrence is is an interesting one. <laughs> we, we see deterrence working because it hasn't not worked yet. And so that's kind of a scary place to be. <laughs> um, because, it's, you know, certainly this, this article makes, makes a point to say that if you put nuclear weapons in the hands of the wrong person, <laughs> well, deterrence doesn't mean a dang thing, you know? Someone can choose to just launch a nuclear weapon and watch the world burn. Some men just want to watch the world burn, Alfred to Batman, right? And so it's like, we can't simply hang, like, like it's, an, it's, a, it's a fallacy of an argument to hang a Christian view of nuclear weapons on this idea that nuclear weapons create more peace in the world. I'm not saying that they don't, but I'm not saying that they do either. And so that's why I'm saying it's a fallacy. I don't think Christians can entirely hang their hat on, on this thing of nuclear weapons and say, well, because we have these things, the world is more peaceful. Because it's really not, and there's more slaves in the world today than there really ever have been in all of history. And so that's a problem. As a matter of fact, I think you could make an argument that the more economically developed nations are more peaceful and aren't warring with each other as much for economic reasons. And if we want to get super spiritual and crazy with it, we could say they all serve the god Baal, the god of prosperity and wealth. Because, I mean, let's be real, in, in some degree we do, right? In, in some degree our materialism might actually be the thing keeping peace more than nuclear weapons but i digress and that's totally off subject but nevertheless there is a part of the deterrence principle that is certainly true that if the bad guys are the only ones with nuclear weapons and the good guys have none then then the bad guys win and the bad guys never need to fire a single weapon and they win because they'll have the threat of nuclear weapons and so there's a part of it, and I think it was Franklin Roosevelt, uh, FDR, that said, speak softly and carry a big stick. And, and, and so I can see that argument from a Christian perspective, right? I can see it, it's, the, it's the same argument that says Christians can fight in the military. It's this idea that if we invest technology and research and brilliant minds and all this you know, money and, and effort into a, a nuclear 
arsenal or having nuclear weapons, that it's kind of like the same principle that, that you're, you're in a way, I guess, engineering and, and fighting on a more philosophical ground than a physical ground, but, but you're, you're, you're fighting for freedom. You're, you're fighting for peace, whether it works or not, it's another thing. And it's kind of the same thing going into battle, right? Like, like you go into battle and you fight for freedom, you fight for peace, you fight for the rights of those that, that can't fight for themselves and it may not work. And that's why you have to, you know, if you're a soldier going into battle, it's like, you have to make that choice before you get there that you might die. You might give up your life fighting for this thing and it might not even work. It's like you have to make that choice. And, and so there's there's a similar argument to be made there with nuclear weapons from a Christian perspective. Now on to the weird part. It could very well be that in Revelation 18, when Babylon falls at the end of days, and Babylon sets up in Revelation as this great city, this great city that stands up to defy and detest God, the God of the Bible. And, I mean, we know how Revelation ends. Jesus comes back and, and judges the earth. But before he comes back, God sends plagues on Babylon. Death, mourning, and famine, uh, Revelation 18.8 says. And she, Babylon, will be utterly burned with fire in a day. In one day the plagues will come. For strong is the Lord God who judges her, and the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. So that's interesting. And, and one of the trumpets sounds in Revelation 8, verse 7, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So that's interesting. And then Ezekiel 38 and 39, which I'm not going to read, goes into the destruction of Gog and Magog at the end times. And God himself intervenes um, with fire, again, raining from heaven. And then an interesting thing is that the leftover weapons provided from Gog and, and Magog will supply the energy of the nation of Israel for seven years. And geographically, some experts believe Gog and Magog to be around the locations of China and Russia, you know, somewhere in Asia, northern Asia. And then Jeremiah talks about the destruction of Babylon as well in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 9. And God says through the prophet Jeremiah, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country, and they shall set themselves in array against her from thence she shall be taken. Their arrows shall be as of a mighty expert man. None shall return in vain. And so a couple interesting things there. It's a picture of some future event that could come. And we know that John in Revelation and the prophets saw visions. And they did their, they did their darndest to describe them. And, and they did pretty darn good 
to be fair, I don't know that I could do any better than they could. <laughs> and we've studied the effects of what happens uh, when a nuclear blast goes off. And certainly it's not hard to imagine multiple and a multitude of nuclear blasts going off and what effects that could have. It's obvious and we know that when a nuclear weapon goes off, as we had the atomic weapons go off in Japan at the end of World War II, which there's a difference there, I, I think. Um, I think nuclear weapons are more deadly and destructive than, than atomic weapons, if I have that right. Um, it levels a city. <laughs> An entire city is utterly burned with fire. And, and perhaps Babylon is a great, great city, right? And, and, and we don't really know because we're not there at the end yet. But it's interesting that those that mourn must stand at a distance because we know there's something else that happens after a nuclear weapon goes off, and that's nuclear fallout. That's the effects of radiation, of, of these chemicals and everything being released into the air. And so I don't really think I should dive too much into the details here, right? But, but I mean, you know, a third of the earth burned up, a third of the trees burned up. Uh, all the green grass burned up, a third of the sea creatures, a, a, a third of the ships, dead, destroyed, leveled, wasted. Again, back to Book of Eli, right? Like, there's a reason that we have apocalyptic images. And, and I think it's no coincidence that we paint those apocalyptic pictures in modern movies with nuclear warfare, nuclear fallout. And so there's a chance a somewhat logical chance that the events of the end times could be generated and propitiated by nuclear warfare. And so it's like, well, well, what does that mean then? Are Christians that serve in the military have anything to do with nuclear weapons, support politicians who support nuclear weapons, which is like most of them, right? Does that mean that if you do that, the destruction of the end times is on your hands? The blood of those that will one day inhabit Babylon, the great city, is on your hands? No, I don't think it does. Maybe, but probably not. Because God's already kind of eight-ball corner-pocketed the end times, and, and it, nuclear weapons might have something to do with it. They might not. I, I don't know. I'm just speculating, guessing. We're having a fun conversation. I'm not trying to sell you some weird book about Jesus coming back in 2030, whatever. <laughs> I could. I got got emails, but I'm not. I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> it could be that if you're a Christian and you serve in the military, or you work for some company or some defense sector, I, I don't know, <laughs> some something with the government or the military that has something to do with nuclear weapons. It could be that you could view your participation in the advancement and development and safeguarding and establishment, whatever you want to say, of nuclear weapons as a part of the return of Christ. Again, I'm not saying nuclear weapons are a part of Revelation. I'm not so bold as to make that. I'm just speculating. But if they are, this is a big if, right? If, 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 keep that in mind. If nuclear weapons are a part of the end times and you participate in them somehow, some way, as a Christian, I don't think you have to feel guilty or bad about it. I think you could look at your work and say, what I am doing may or may not be used 
in God's judgment. And you don't have to feel bad about that. The, the authors of the Bible longed for and cried out for a day that God would right all the wrongs of this earth, that he would wipe away every tear, that he would undo every horrible thing that was done. Everyone who was murdered, everyone who was sinned against in some way, large and disgusting or, or small and seemingly harmless, that'll one day be undone, and it's called the judgment of the Lord. And his judgment is faithful and true, Revelation says. And maybe if you're a Christian and you're part of it, part of the nuclear whatever, maybe you can see your role like that. Or maybe not. Maybe you can continue to be a pacifist. I don't think there's a wrong answer there. I think the right answer was what Nebuchadnezzar said in Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. He said, I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? And I think that's the takeaway. We haven't seen nuclear weapons destroy anything yet in warfare. We saw the effects of the atomic bombs at the end of World War II, and they were pretty horrible. And I don't understand what I'm about to say. But I think the takeaway is, if nuclear weapons are ever used on this earth, it's probably because it's the will of God. Why does God allow evil to exist? Well, I think I have an episode on that, so go find it. <laughs> because we are currently out of time. So, yeah, this is an interesting talk. Um, let's continue this conversation. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know if you have more questions. If You can email me if you have a book to sell or a can of tuna to sell or, <laughs> I don't know, something. I'm probably not going to respond. I'll respond to real questions. But keep emailing me, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and as always, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed the show. 